Local voices, local conversations. NapaBroadcasting.com Welcome back to NapaBroadcasting.com. Modern science has virtually wiped out many diseases. Polio, smallpox, mumps, measles, and whooping cough have all become diseases that we no longer worry about. This is a far cry from the day when parents feared the impact of these diseases on their children. Unfortunately, too many parents today may not remember the day when these diseases ravaged families everywhere. So what's happened? Why do we suddenly have individuals denying their kids' vaccinations and a debate about long-settled science? Like climate change deniers and flat earthers, the very fundamentals of long-established science have come under attack in our often cynical, anti-intellectual, and paranoid culture. Joining me today is a local parent who is working hard to end the vaccination exemption loophole that threatens to undo the community immunity that has long kept us safe. My guest, Hannah Henry, recently went to Sacramento to petition our legislators to eliminate this exemption, and it is my pleasure to welcome Hannah Henry to the program today. Hannah, thanks so much for being here. Having me. It's good to have you here. What was it that prompted you to, to get involved in this fight? Certainly, uh, I'm sure all of our listeners have been reading about it, hearing about it, have opinions on it. What motivated you to get this involved? Well, I became aware of the vaccine um, controversy when my first son was born in 2001. Um, and that was around the time when there was still um, a um, misinformation about links of um, about vaccines being linked to autism. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a um, an article published in 1998 by Dr. Well, then Dr. Wakefield, which was shortly after um, debunked, completely debunked, and he um, admitted to fraud and um, lost his license. But that information was still out there. It is still out there, unfortunately, the misinformation. But it was still in in the collective consciousness at that time, um, especially for new parents. Um, My husband and I were very concerned. Um, And so I started researching on my own, um, my own um, a way to answer those questions. I talked to doctors I knew. I read everything I could get my hands on because I wanted to make the right decision for my child. So I, and we decided to vaccinate. It was um, there was no question in our minds after we had we looked at the the data that was available at the time. And so it's just been in my awareness. Um, over the years. And when we moved to Napa and then started looking at schools, um, I happened upon this um, alternative school, wonderful charter school, um, Stonebridge. It's a Waldorf methods or Waldorf-inspired education. Mm-hmm. And, and through just conversations with parents, realized that this community also comes with a real distrust of vaccines. And so I, I just became fascinated by the psychology around um, ignoring scientific research, um, ignoring the advice of doctors, and kind of going on one's own path for these kinds of decisions. That just remained in the back of my mind. My kids, by the time my son entered first grade at Stonebridge in, I think it was 2007, they were all vaccinated fully. But then um, two and a half years ago, or three years ago now, I became pregnant with my fourth child, quite um It was a surprise. (laughs) And then um, I suddenly had a had um, 
the responsibility for someone who could not be vaccinated, someone who would be vulnerable in a community where children are less protected. And so I looked a little deeper into the numbers um, that are publicly um, available uh, on the California um, um, I'm forgetting the name of the website, but there's there's it's a publicly um, accessible information data on um, vaccine rates throughout the state, and it drills down to the actual school. And I found that our rate of exemptions from vaccines had gone up um, considerably every year. They'd started out quite high, qu- higher than the the state average, which was about two percent, right. um, and then at that time, 2007. Stonebridge, their kindergartners, they just keep track of kindergartners and seventh graders. That's when you legally need to submit your immunization forms. There was 23% at Stonebridge, and each year it went up. And when I looked at it for my daughter, it was something around, uh, when I was concerned because I was pregnant, it was something around 40%. And I tr- approached the school and um, told them about this, um, this trend that I found very troubling and found that... Um, they, they felt it was too controversial a topic to address. So fortunately, my daughter was born in the summer, so I had a few months. Um, my pediatrician counseled me and said, it's okay, just um, you have a few months to, to, um, for her to build up her immunity. And, and also there was nothing really lurking at that time. There were some cases of whooping cough. But then when the measles outbreak happened, I... Um, and my daughter was all, she's already she's fully immunized now but when the measles outbreak happened i i became really concerned for parents who might not know what the risk is of these diseases and the risk of being in these communities where um, there's such a high rate of um, distrust and ex- exemptions as you talk to parents those that have not vaccinated the anti-vaxxers and you tried to understand what that distrust was about, what those misgivings were about. What did you hear? What what kind of reasons were coming back to you? Well, there's a real fear, and I understand this fear myself. There's a real fear for um, misinformation coming from um, from the medical industry for the for profit, and that there's there's this distrust. I think. Um, it stems from misinformation, first of all. You know, when, well, I, I'll get to that in a minute. But the, the, what, what, I, what I hear is that um, people feel, um, feel that their, their control over their children's lives has been violated by industry. And um, as we find more and more toxins in our environment um, have, have neurological effects um, that m- may cause cancer, the, the fact that many of our toxins are not regulated um, chemicals in the environment. Vaccines, unfortunately, are a victim of that distrust, that um, they are a very, very effective um, means for protecting children against certain infectious diseases. But they've been swept up into the same category as pretty much anything that the medical industry or um, pharmaceutical companies produce. It's interesting, and and I wonder if you've talked to any of the parents about this, that if they were to get on a plane tomorrow with their kids for summer vacation and go visit any one of a number of countries around the world where vaccines would be required, would they do that or not? Um, 
It depends. I mean, one of my pediatricians, I've had several since I've lived in Napa, and they all feel strongly about this issue. And it always comes up because if you say your child goes to Stonebridge, they pull up the chart and talk to you about the immunization rate at that school. Um, Some are more forgiving than others. Um, But one um, anecdotal piece I have is that uh, one of the pediatricians I talked to said that a parent, a Stonebridge parent recently did um, was going to embark on travel and did still did not want to vaccinate their child against against disease. So and she was confounded by that. But I do know of other parents who have just waited until it was absolutely necessary, until they had no choice. And so we still have the choice in California to not vaccinate. Um, there's, a, there's a perception that there's very low risk um, and and to for the diseases, but once they try to travel, I know of a couple of cases of parents who have said, okay, we'll, we'll go along with the vaccine. Because of travel, not necessarily because of school. Because of a requirement, because it's required. Talk a little bit about what your research told you about the reasons behind the personal belief exemption. Because in many ways, what was put in place as a personal belief exemption has become a kind of personal opinion exemption. Well, it's difficult to distinguish personal belief from personal um, opinion. Um, my um, the, the personal belief exemption has, has been on the on the law since the fifties. It's not a recent um, it's not a recent addition, um, but it has waxed and waned in um, in its use. But what I um, what I see right now. Um, is that in our in this generation of parents, we are um, we're really bombarded with choices about our children, and the it's almost like the more informed you you are as a parent, the more choices you are presented with whether to um, if if you choose to if you have the means, and this is often comes down to a um, an issue of class as well. But if you have the means to choose organic or regular milk or almond milk or raw milk, you're making a choice for the health of your child. And then schools, schools are an absolutely overwhelming um, array of choices that we have in, in, in California with um, the ability to not just look at charter schools, but you can open enroll at any elementary, middle or high school you choose. So Rather than going along with sort of a, a standard and then um, and then modifying aspects of that standard as a parent, we really have to customize. We're expected if we're going to be an informed and good, quote unquote, good parent um, it, from reading magazines and blogs and just the media in general, there seems to be this um, expectation that we're going to weigh in on everything that happens with our child. Of course, we know from the science, and you were talking about it in the context of the research that you did, that there is overwhelming evidence with respect to the efficacy and safety of these vaccines, that a lot of the misinformation that was out there a number of years ago has, as you say, been debunked, and that vaccines, going back to polio and even smallpox before that, have proven to be incredibly effective in wiping out so many diseases, not only here in America, but throughout the world. Why do you think that given that, given that history, there is still such resistance? Well, 
one of the things I think that um, kind of did vaccines in in this in this generation was the timing of um, Wakefield's paper. That paper came out in 1998, and the other thing I remember about 1998 um, was that was when my father became very sick. And in order, before talking to the doctors, I looked up what his condition was, and I educated myself the best I could online. That was the first time in my life I had 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 had, had that experience. When you go into a library and you look up a medical journal or any book on on medicine, the first book you find is not something bogus that that is pretending to be a book. It is something that was published and edited and bound and put on the shelf at the library. The internet provides some very valuable information, but the vast majority of the information on the internet is not verified and it doesn't go away. Once it's been debunked, it continues to live on with comments and repostings and there's there's an of really it makes the medical community very vulnerable to misinformation and the parent um, population very vulnerable vulnerable to misinformation. So I, I look at this vaccine, the, the anti-vaccine movement is like an epidemic that was started by, it was an infection started by Wakefield and it was spread by the internet. Talk a little bit about your trip to Sacramento, the petitions that you brought there, and and what you're trying to accomplish. Um, the petition is a um, was started by a parent in Southern California, um, a MoveOn.org um, member. I signed. I was already very interested in this topic. I'd already written to the Register and written a piece on my blog, and I was trying to figure out ways to get um, get more involved. I signed this. Move, I am a Move On member, and I signed this petition um, that I then eventually presented, and it prompted me. The kind of Move On machine prompted me to create one for local purposes, and so I did. Um, it was so similar to the the first petition, and I had such a um, personal connection to mm-hmm. this issue, and I have a proximity to Sacramento. So I became the, the lead on the, the petition. Move On asked me to participate in a, in a higher level with it. So when I, and when this petition was created, by the way, it was before this bill, um, SB 277, was written by um, and presented by Senator Pan and Senator Allen. Um, so this, this was even before the measles outbreak that this mm-hmm. petition was written. It took off when when news of measles hit um, hit the media. So when I when I when we were organizing the the presentation of the petition um, in Sacramento, it was um, serendipitous that we at this point um, also had a bill to show our support of. So there's a and there's there's a, almost a perfect parallel of what the petition asks for and what the bill is um, is does, um, which removes the personal belief exemption. Um, we originally were going to do a rally and then decided instead because the senators were so um, excited that they were going to have um, these signatures twenty one thousand four hundred something signatures to show support to show the governor, to show the other legislators that, that there's voter parent um, community support for this bill. 
What are you hearing out there from the pro-vaccine community, the people that signed this petition? How concerned are they about this issue? Is this something that, that this recent measles outbreak has sort of ginned up? What do you think this is an ongoing concern that people will, will continue to have? Well, you know, the media plays a role in what sure. <laughs> what, what ends up on our consciousness. And so measles is, um, is, so, is so contagious that... Um, it's sort of a perfect topic for the media. And that's really raised this um, awareness of this issue. Um, and that's very important uh, because the the shield that we have as a society, this shield that's been built up over generations due to vaccines, um, it's there's there's a hole in it. And that shield is invisible and the hole in the shield is invisible, even when it's enlarging, as we have this hole at Stonebridge until someone gets sick. So some people have gotten sick. The majority of those people were unvaccinated. This is exactly how these infectious diseases re-enter society. So people have, um, the, the people who commented, you, when you sign the petition, there's an area for commenting. Many of them referenced, they were older, and they, they referenced their, their childhood, um, family members who had had diseases um, polio, measles, mumps, rubella, um, and what it was like before the vaccines were available. Another um, group I heard from were parents of children who cannot be vaccinated. And those are the, those are the kids that have prompted me to get so involved, not just the babies, but children who, um, for instance, one one woman wrote that her child is a transplant survivor, and she fosters babies who have organ transplants, and she's deeply concerned that she can't she can't safely take her children out um, and take them to daycare, take them to uh, public school or private school, without um, the fear that they will contract. Um, an infectious disease. And these people who have these medical exemptions, who can't be vaccinated, they are the most vulnerable. So if someone's going to get sick, if someone's going to die, that's these people. And they're the ones that rely on on this shield that you were talking about before, this herd immunity that, that has existed for so long. Yes. And actually, some um, of the, the people in the, the pro-vaccine movement will clarify that and say we've never been fully vaccinated you know we we want to model ourselves against sweden um not um not afghanistan or these countries that that have really spotty um vaccination records we have a pretty good shield and have had a pretty good shield but it's not it's not complete enough um, to satisfy doctors and immunologists what is your sense of the mood in Sacramento on this topic when you went up there and talked to legislators there? They're very positive. Um, it, it's, there's, um, there's a lot of momentum behind this right now because of the measles outbreak. People be- started questioning their own schools, questioning their own um, their families and their belief systems. And um, there's been so much discussion on this. And so many experts have weighed in, and the um, legislators are are list. Well, Doc- Senator Pan is a pediatrician, and that's that's what is leading his mm-hmm. um, his concern on this. I I see him um, very sincerely taking this on as an extension of his Hippocratic oath 
not his oath of office. You know, his um, he's he's really wants to do his best while in office to protect um, the health of children. And there, um, it's the, the removing the personal belief exemption. If we didn't have this measles outbreak, would not be in our. Um, it just wouldn't be in our awareness and our consciousness because, as I said, this shield is invisible until it's not. Is there a concern that if, in fact, this legislation does pass, and even if it's signed by the governor, that it will hold legal muster, that the courts will uphold it? Well, the Supreme Court has spoken on this issue dating back to 1905 when um, there was an individual who refused to um, have a vaccine because he said he had had a reaction as a child and um, and was afraid of catching smallpox as a result of the vaccine. His wife and his children had died from smallpox. I may get some of these details wrong, but this this was a, um, a landmark um, decision by the Supreme Court to override his personal beliefs and um, and put public welfare ahead of his personal beliefs. So the Supreme Court has spoken on this and continue has continued to uphold the 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 importance of public welfare, public health and welfare over our own our own personal beliefs. And as a parent at Stonebridge, to bring it back to your personal experience there, with a 40%, I think you said, non-vaccination rate. 51% now. 51% now. Talk a little bit about what it's like for you in the midst of that population carrying on this fight. It's interesting. It's definitely a a controversial topic. Um, I liked, I'd like to say there's no debate on this topic because there really is no debate on the efficacy of the science behind vaccines, but there is a debate on what we should and shouldn't be able to choose for our children. Most of the parents um, I have heard from don't want to eliminate all vaccines, but they want to be able to modify the schedule to their own liking or to um, rule out the possibility of medical exemptions that their mainstream doctor may not recognize, the the desire to have full control over one's child's life is is um, it it is hard to argue with. And um, I found at Stonebridge, it's something I can't even really talk to my friends about. Some of them I um, and I don't like entering into conversations that are with people who I'm sure agree with me. I really enjoy debate. I enjoy hearing um, different sides of the issue. I, um, But I have found that in this case, it's been very difficult to raise the issue without raising emotions. It's interesting that, that for so many of these people, though, and I've talked to some, the, the anti-vaccination folks, they, tr- they do try to argue it from, from a scientific perspective. They'll argue that the science is wrong or that stuff isn't included or that they have evidence of somebody that had some terrible thing happen as a result. Yeah, I mean, you constantly hear that. Yeah, and there are cases, they're extremely rare, like one in a million um, cases where um, kids have had a very serious reaction. The, the less serious reactions are um, somewhat more common, but they're still very... Uh, very, very rare. There are a lot of cases that, and I'll get a lot of flack for this, for saying this, but you can talk, I'd rather people rely on the doctors and um, 
and the, the, the health experts um, to answer these questions for the actual sp- um, statistics. But there are cases where people believe that there was a reaction to a vaccine, but it was it wasn't specifically a re- reaction to the vaccine. And a lot of um, is, you know, there's a lot of discussion about the ingredients of the vaccines, that they're not safe, that they're filled with toxins and formaldehyde and mercury. And it's just, although there may be, you know, there's there's trace amounts of formaldehyde in a vaccine, it's, it's less than there is in water. It's less than there is in um, any, it, it, it occurs naturally. This is not a substance that has been put together randomly and without the utmost care and concern for the health of the of the child the 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 vaccine industry if you want to call that it's it's a network of doctors and um and research scientists from around the world really that weigh in on what's best for um for the public health of this globe Isn't it a little like, I mean, I I keep harking back to in conversations that we've had about this, harking back to the debate about climate change. There's always so-called experts you could find out there that either for a price or for the attention or for whatever reason will argue the contrarian case and just say, well, there's two sides of the story and, and create equivalents where there really isn't any. Yeah, that's one of my concerns about this um, this discussion in general is that there is not there there isn't equivalence and um, it's not it's it's not a debate and what it comes down to is how how invested people are and how well they understand what's good for the public health and of of our society and and they're weighing that against what they believe is best for their individual child. And that's something that, in some cases, it's our doctors um, and our and our our government officials who might make a better choice for the for the herd for the community than some individual parents. The individual parents. It's it's interesting because a lot of them argued the science as we've been talking about. But a lot of them just say, well, I don't believe in it. I mean, you hear that as well. And you, there, there's no way to have that argument sometimes. Exactly. I mean, I, and that's where it has to come down to, look, if you really don't believe in it, your option is to, is to take care of your child yourself and within your, the confines of your house. If you want your child to enter into the public and go to daycare and school, then you've got to abide by some of the rules. We, we, ha- we can't come up with our own sanitation laws, um, our personal belief around whether or not we wear seatbelts or buckle kids up who aren't our own in our car just because we don't believe in it. We can't enter into the public sphere with a child who hasn't been immunized against diseases that, that as, a, as a society that our medical experts have deemed are a danger to our society. You don't have to believe it. We do have to do it. Are there states, are there communities that have eliminated this personal exemption law successfully? I would have to talk to my um, my coalition members about the, to answer that question. I know that there are 19 states right now who are in process of eliminating personal belief exemption. Um, off the top of my head, I think that um, West Virginia and Mississippi have no personal belief exemption. But right now, the... the the energy is around removing this exemption um, uh, in 
in half, at least half the states in the country. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about why you think MoveOn.org got involved in this in this fight. I mean, certainly there's lots of fights out there, lots of, of issues to, to debate. Yeah. Um, MoveOn responds to, um, to, to member interest. And when this petition was started, you can pretty much, if you're a MoveOn member, start a petition on anything. And if it doesn't get traction, it doesn't really go anywhere. But if it gets traction, um, MoveOn will take the human beings, not just the machine, the petition machine, mm-hmm. but the human beings will take a look, a little closer look at, um, at the issue raised. And it, if it, then, then it goes up to another level and they'll take a, a closer look at it. And in this case, it was the confluence of the measles outbreak and the fact that this petition went from 900 signers to like 18,000 signers almost overnight. They um, sat down and um, the staff and, and, looked at the science, looked at the, um, the pros and the cons, and said, absolutely, this is something that MoveOn needs to take on. And finally, what is the trajectory now of the legislation? Um, well, it goes through a process. I'm still learning this, um, this process myself, so I may, um, I may say some inaccurate things. But it, goes, it has to go through um, but individual legislators are, are being um, – are, are being talked to or lobbied by um, by scientists and doctors and um, both sides of the issue, but primarily on for, for our fight, it's the um, the experts in uh, medicine um, and immunology, uh, pediatricians who are speaking to the legislators and say and, and giving them kind of an education on um, on what this what what this law means if there's a personal exemption on the books and what it means if the, if it's removed then it goes through um committee and it goes up for vote in the legislature in the um uh for the senators and then it goes to the assembly um and finally it reaches the governor's desk very good well i thank you so much for coming in and uh, bringing us up to date on on your journey and uh this whole battle that we've been reading so much about lately. Hannah Henry, thank you so much. Thanks. It was my pleasure. You're listening to NapperBroadcasting.com.